The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. I have to say that you have a little bit of a, a, there's a spring in your, well, you can't say spring in your step because it's your voice, but like a, 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 a happiness that seems to come through with that good morning. Really? Could it have anything to do with the fact that there's uh, a certain game that's played on frozen water and, and guys use sticks and there's a little piece of galvanized rubber? and You mean hockey? I, I'm not sure I've ever, you know, seen that. Hockey, yes, that's what it's called. I knew it began with an H. And so welcome, everybody, to uh, another edition of our Home Repair uh, podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about the proper way to brush out vents and uh, clean and clean your uh, heating system so that the dust doesn't re-enter uh, your home or direct, go directly into your lungs. You might have to throw in a little bit of um, sports talk there for the, for the guys who are listening that... that tuned in thinking that this was a sports podcast i mean if you really want to i guess i i guess we could uh might take a few minutes for us to find something like that i mean i have a really in-depth list of notes on the types of on the quality of materials uh of like brushes for cleaning your grates um you know the differences between copper and steel and brass and platinum and aluminum and then the chemicals you use to clean them with Okay. I mean, the efficacy changes. I see. I was thinking more along the lines of how to stain your deck and how to preserve the length of it because you can flip over the boards and restain the other side. But Yeah, but right now it's too cold outside for the stain to dry. So Exactly, which is why we should talk about hockey because <sighs> it is cold outside. If you're going to make me, I why don't we just pause the recording for like, uh, until we can find a few stories. Ready? One, two, three. And we're back. And we, we did that well. In case you were wondering, yes, we did pause and we did go find some stuff to talk about. And then we came back. So that brief little period of time was actually hours long, but we truncated it. Uh, and it's an amazing tool, uh, that truncation. Uh, it just <laughs> it saves it saves a lot of time. No one has to listen to us fumbling and mashing the keys. Um, so do we want to start with on-ice stuff, off-ice stuff, uh, or just... Uh... I don't... But there's so much to talk about. We got... Uh... Do we want to start with the good news, the bad news, the expected news? I want to, I want to start with this. I want to start with this number retirement just because I think it's about damn time. Um, yes. And honestly, this is the first retirement of its kind, um, uh, for the Boston Bruins, um, possibly for anyone in, for anyone in in the NHL, you may or may not have heard the news that Willie O'Ree's number is being retired. Uh, 22 will head into the rafters at some point this season. Um, hopefully Mr. O'Ree will get to be in attendance. I've yet to meet the man. Uh, I have seen him in a couple of events, and he's he's got that presence. 
They've talked uh, to. I've been listening to him talk, and the way he talks about the sport of hockey, the way he talks about what he does for the kids. I, I mean, this guy is he, he, retiring his number. This isn't like some guy that we just randomly picked. I mean, the, the, this is a man who, based on his playing time and based on what he's done in the community, it, it's deserved. I don't have. I, I think oh, it's yeah. about time and. I mean, ah, it's as much. Un- Go ahead. Willie O'Raver, those who are new to hockey, is uh, he broke the uh, he's the first black player to play in the National Hockey League. Um, the Jackie Robinson of hockey. Uh, as much as the comparison is there to be made, uh, he didn't quit play quite uh, so much hockey. Um but he's he's honestly being honored as much for what he contributed has contributed off the ice to the hockey community mm-hmm. um, as for his <clears throat> barrier breaking uh, performance uh, and entry into the NHL. And what he's I, done has been huge. He's been involved in uh, children's charities, uh, hockey related across the community, across the country for decades, longer than I think either of us has been alive. Uh, he played his first, uh, he played his first uh, NHL games in 1957, um, along with guys, uh, unknown players like, you know, Johnny Busick. I, this this is the and I'm reading this from CBS Boston. The the quote throughout the history of the National Hockey League, there have been very few individuals that have had such a profound impact on the league and its culture than Willie O'Ree, said Charles Jacobs. After breaking the color barriers of Boston Bruin in nineteen fifty eight and eventually retiring from professional hockey in seventy nine Willie became the ultimate ambassador for improving diversity and inclusion within the game of hockey. The entire hockey world is forever indebted to Willie for all that he has done and continues to do for the sport. We are incredibly proud to retire Willie's number and cement his legacy as one of Boston's greatest athletes. He's already been inducted into the Hall of Fame as a builder. It's. I mean, this is a guy. It, it, he may not have the stats that leap off the page and say and scream, "This was the best." He was the best goal scorer, or he was the best distributor, or what. But what he's done for the game of hockey is enormous and irreplaceable. Exactly. I. I mean, you can make arguments about. All sorts of things. You can't argue his contribution. It's really difficult to imagine the league being as big as it is without Willie O'Ree's contribution over the last few decades. Uh, I mean, L.A. is not <clears throat> not a traditional hockey market. It's just not. He played no. in the Western Hockey League back in the 61 61- uh, 62 through 66, 67 season when it was an adult league. <coughs> yeah. 
And it was clearly at that point, two or three tiers down from the NHL. Uh, as far as, as far as his contributions on ice, nobody, I have never heard anyone say a negative word about him. This is a guy who went out there and played basically one eyed. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, because does anybody he, know, he suffers remember serious injury. He blind in his right eye. And uh, most hockey players have trouble keeping up with the speed of the game with two eyes. The fact that he was able to keep playing for so many years, <coughs> apologies, uh, without, uh, without full vision in one eye is remarkable all by itself. And just to tie the bow on that, he helped establish 39 grassroots hockey programs in North America as part of the Hockey is for Everyone initiative, has inspired more than 120,000 boys and girls to play the sport of hockey. And that's it right there. At the grassroots level, what this guy has been able to do to instill some form of love for this sport into the youth and and to build it from that level is just how do, how else do you thank him that's why he's in the hall of fame in the builder category that's and that's why his numbers should be hanging in the rafters no did, is his 14 goals going to uh, stun anyone for offensive stats no but this is a guy who clearly saw and was able to work beyond just what he did on the ice. And for that, he should be thanked and rewarded. And he's going to be. Without Willie O'Ree, there's probably no Matt Dumba. There may not be a Seth Jones. Um, there might not be an Anthony Duclair. Uh, P.K. Subban, Malcolm Subban, they might not be in the league. Um, so, yes, his, his tenure as a player was short. His impact... The example he set, uh, it's really, really hard to imagine that guys who were somewhat more volatile, like, I don't know, and as much as I love him, Wayne Simmons or Jerome McGinley, uh, could break the barrier in the same way, even though those guys have had much longer careers, without uh, more pushback, shall we say. Joel Joel Ward is meant saying how thrilled he was to learn of of, of the honor for Willie O'Ree. That's amazing. Uh, Joel Ward, uh, many of you may remember, had uh, some slurs tossed his way uh, through mm-hmm. social media uh, while he was playing for Washington against Boston, and uh, that was uh, that was. Ugly, unfortunate, and and unnecessary. But uh, I really. But on this instance, Joel Ward on on uh, he was on the Soul on Ice podcast. Uh, he said, "That's amazing. Hats off to the Bruins organization for honoring Willie and what he means to the game and people of color. It will be great for kids to see. To honor a guy who broke barriers is huge." Uh. We have to actually, as much as I love talking about this 
about we William Reed. Yeah, we got other stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we have other stuff to talk about, and someone else really, really important uh, is celebrating a birthday today. So, <clears throat> happy birthday, Betty White, ninety-nine today. Uh, thank you for being a friend. Keep us, keep entertaining us, Betty. Um, I think the biggest on ice story aside from the start of the season is also an off ice story. Mm -hmm. You want to go with that one? Yeah, let's do it. So breakout star of the playoffs last summer was Pierre-Luc Dubois. We've talked about him a couple of times. Yep. Maybe once or twice. He might've gotten just a few minutes of airtime here. He signed a two-year contract just a couple of weeks ago uh, with the Blue Jackets, what everyone saw as a bridge deal and a very team-friendly deal. You think? And you then – Was it, it $5 million per? <laughs> $5 million per, two years, no, no movement clauses, nothing like that. And then, what was it, three, four days later, John Tortorella, who literally never comments on players wanting out of, out of any city he's in – or basically doesn't as much as brash as John Tortorella is, he generally lets the managers manage even when they're morons. Um, and yeah, he just said on the radio. Yep. He said, uh, PLD said he wanted out, uh, doesn't want to spend his whole career here. Um, and man, is that huge. For Tortorella to come out and say it, that is huge. And it's got to be something pretty concrete. Uh, I mean, it's not like he was saying, well, I think, you know, my lifestyle is a bit is a better match for uh, whatever. Or I want better education for my kids. So it would be great to go to this one city. <coughs> that nope. It's all I don't want to be here. That being said, well, what I'm what I've read, unless he's he Tortorella's comment was like, yeah, he, he, he was on the radio. He said, yeah, he wants out. He spoke to the team as we do here. It's a little bit different than Panarin and Bobrovsky were. This is a 22 year old kid. Doesn't happen that often. So he has been honest with the group. I wish he was a little bit more honest as far as reasons why. I still haven't really gotten to that, but I think he needs to speak on that. I won't. <laughs> so even though he's he's telling us that Dubois wants out, he's not going to take it any further than he wants out. <laughs> and Torrell is still holding a little bit of the cards. Still, <laughs> I don't know that. <clears throat> I don't know that uh, Pierre Luc actually owes anyone any more of an answer. Yes, it, it it's going to be it's bad for the organization that they took him number three overall, got really solid numbers out of him in the time, particularly considering the composition of the rest of the roster. Um, I think the re- go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think the reason that Tortorella brought this up is I actually think he's. I think he's taking it a little personally. I mean, the last quote in in, in the article on NHL.com, uh, the last thing is is a is a quote from Totorella. It says it's very difficult to me 
when a guy doesn't want to be here at such a young age and the amount of time we've poured into him to try to develop him and is just looking to go. It's hard for me. I'm not sure where it goes with me as the season gets going. I'll be quite honest with you because I want to spend my time developing the people that want to be here, but I still have to coach the hockey team to be the best that it can be. I think he's a little hurt by this. I think he's almost taking it like a personal affront that, you know, he spent time with this kid trying to to coach him up, and you see the results uh, this past summer, only to have him turn around and say he wants out. Uh, I mean, is this just a kid who's looking for biggest market he can get into? Because Columbus clearly isn't the largest market in the country. Not even top three or top five, I would say. It's not in the top 20. So is this just is this just a kid who's looking to go to New York, L.A., uh, I guess you'd have to say Boston? Seattle, uh, like even like a big market team, apparently. Chicago. Maybe he just wants to go back to Canada. Maybe he really, really wants to live in Canada. He's from Quebec. Um Presumably French Canadian background. Uh, I would have to double check, but the name might be a teeny tiny hint. Um, and now, for all this being said, after Totorella made these comments, I haven't heard word one about it. It's not like they're feel. I haven't heard anything about them fielding offers. I haven't heard anything about them any potential landing spots. It, it, are I mean, we realistically, for the trade deadline or the waiting till the end of the season. Realistically, no. the trade deadline is is probably the soonest it would happen, uh, simply because he was just signed. Um, I think it would leave a bad odor in the room uh, if he were to be moved out, you know, a week into the season, and it would probably hurt the team's playoff <coughs> chances. Even even allowing for a theoretical positive return on talent. Well, wherever wherever he ends up landing, unless it unless it's uh, I don't know Chicago. But if he ends up landing or Chicago or L.A., if he ends up landing in Colorado, if he ends up landing even in Boston, I get I, I mean New York. He's Chicago. He's going to have an impact, but it's going to be a muted impact. He's not going to suddenly vault them into Stanley Cup contention. Right. I mean, coming coming to going to a team like Colorado, he kind of puts them over the top. Going to Boston, I think he even puts them into the final. An interesting potential landing place, particularly since they have. Uh, they have issues right now. I mean, obviously they'd have to clear, <clears throat> they'd have to clear a decent amount of cap space. Mm-hmm. Dallas, Dallas really struggled with offense last year, uh, in the playoffs and over the season overhaul. Um, if they could find a way to bring him in and get him into their top, I mean, obviously he'd land in their top six somewhere. Uh, uh but if, yeah. Clearly, I mean it. Probably it probably means you're giving up Rupe Hints and uh, Radic Pasca. But is that actually a net loss for the team? 
I don't know. You got young. If if um, if Kibiranta is really as good as he looked for the brief time that he played in the summer, uh, I don't think that it's a huge loss. They still have Dennis Gurianov, depending on what Columbus would ask for. So I don't think it's a huge hit. I mean, Rupe Hintz is, is a decent player, plays both center and a wing, uh, which that might be more of an issue with losing Rupe Hintz. But you still have young talent down there. So I, I mean, don't think it's... I don't PLD think it's a, does play both positions as well. Okay, so I don't think it's as huge a hit as, as you might say. It depends on what non roster spots they're, they're looking for you know what kind of a payback are they looking for in prospects or picks or both I mean it's going to be a huge package wherever he goes at least I would think so oh absolutely um, I can't imagine it not being a big trade and a trade that gets talked about for 10 years um, <clears throat> so I ran a poll during the week um, I think you saw the poll. Uh, it's closed now. Only ran it for two days. Uh, asked, what would you, uh, what would you want? What would you be willing to pay for Pierre Luc Dubois? Uh, four options were nothing, don't want him, uh, <laughs> and that one did get votes. Um, three firsts or two all stars, thirty plus, you know, age thirty plus. Two prospects, one roster player. And then other reply. Someone did reply with some, uh, someone did pick other reply, but they never actually told me what they wanted. Um, what, what for you, for the average team that's going to bid is a decent price. Uh, for me, I think it starts with the two prospects in one roster and it could be a mix there, but. I don't know that that's enough. I think that I think the draft picks are going to be involved as well. I mean, the the one the other one, three firsts or two all stars. Uh, that might be three firsts. Uh, isn't that what you give up when you sign a certain level restricted free agent? That's about that's about what you would pay uh, if you were to if you had been because uh, he was an, he's an RFA. He, he was, was an, an he's an RFA, but he was I, I believe he was without register, without uh, arbitration rights. Uh, I, I I don't know that either one of these is exactly right, but I think the three firsts might be closer to it, only because that's what you would pay with, for an RFA of a certain caliber. I think if you're going to go with the two prospects that went on roster, I think you'd still have to throw in at least one first-round pick. Okay, in the <clears throat> okay, so using the using cap friendlies. Yes. Uh, using cap friendlies uh, calculator. Mm-hmm. Five years, two million. <clears throat> their official the official league stat uh, or league number would be a first and a third which is going to get you hung up on um i i lean towards something close to <clears throat> i'm not sure i would actually start with any of these offers 
but I might go with two firsts and a roster, whether it was someone just breaking into the roster or someone five years into their career, eight years into their career, maybe. Um, and it's going to have to, it's it almost has to be a forward. Uh, the, the defense in Columbus is clearly the backbone of their team. Okay. Um, but percentage-wise, nothing don't want him managed to get 13.2%, as did the three firsts or, or two all-stars over 30. So, um, so 71 – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so 13.2% clearly have been off their medication. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just checking. <laughs> yeah. Or – or on the wrong medication. Um, and then 71.1% got uh, picked the two prospects in a roster. I can't say I blame them. I don't think that there's necessarily, well, the first answer is clearly wrong. Uh, if you don't actually want him because yeah, we, yeah. I don't but, know, unless you're Colorado or Tampa Bay fans and you think that what you've got is enough. I, that's the only and you can make the argument that you, you can also make the argument that Edmonton doesn't particularly need him. No, they need defense. <laughs> they, yes, but <laughs> overall, the other you know twenty six teams, twenty five teams in the league, they should they should be interested. Yes. Where next? If you're not interested, uh I wanted to get into this. I didn't know exactly where to, but I, I really do want to talk about this. And yes, it's specifically a Bruins thing, but that's watching okay. the, watching the opening two games of this season against the New Jersey Devils. One thing has become completely and eerily evident, and that is the Bruins defense does not get the respect of the opposing team that they used to get when they had some guy named Zdeno Chara on the back end. The Tuka Rask was run at least twice, and I, I'm willing to argue it's more like three or four times in the first game. Yeah. I mean, one of them was blatant and probably should have been a major, not a minor, but... When you when you're still striding or at the very least gliding quickly, you're not trying to stop and you still run into the goaltender. But these are things that would not have happened. I Halak got run into a couple of times yesterday after Kevin Miller got into a fight with Miles Wood. Nowhere near as bad as Wait, what happened to Miles Wood. Yes, it was Wood. I'm sorry, but it, the defense and and they're going to rely on Kevin Miller to be. The, the 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 physical deterrent. guy and the, yes the deterrent, but you didn't see those things happen. Chara six foot nine six foot nine two hundred fifty five pounds. Nobody wanted to mess with him. You didn't go into that air that portion of the arena that little blue paint and not expect that you were going to get some kind of payback. You now would get ragdolled on a pretty regular basis. <laughs> He tossed uh, people around. I mean, granted, okay, we saw we, we saw uh, Bufflin handle two of them, you know, one at each hand. But I'm sure Chara could do the same thing. I just don't think that he ever had to w- really worry about that. 
Because after throwing the first guy around, everybody else just kind of stood there and went, yeah, okay, um, I'm going to go get some coffee. I'll be right back. <laughs> and Chara, in all fairness, Chara had been in the league long enough that he could give a semi-polite or at least non-physical warning uh, before having to <clears throat> obliterate someone. Um, and most of them listened. <laughs> uh, it was, oh gosh, who... Uh, Riley Smith, when his brother decided that fighting Chara was, well, a feasible idea. Yeah. Uh, I remember the interview, uh, with Smith afterwards saying, I'm sitting there on the bench like, no, you don't want to do that. Don't do that. That's a bad idea. It's really (laughs) not. That's really not smart there, bro. That's not (laughs) smart. No, don't. Oh, okay. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh. For those, I mean, for those who really, for those who really firmly believed that it was okay to let Chara get away without having some fallback, and yes, Kevin Miller, Kevin Miller hasn't played in two years, didn't know what to expect from him. So far, can't say he's looked bad. He's, he's, he's looked remarkably like the guy three weeks, four weeks before the injury that put him on the shelf for two years, like uncannily like the guy um i have been i was hopeful for his for a useful performance for from him and yes it's only been two games he's not he's not he's still pretty much 100 percent healthy but i was surprised one that despite two broken kneecaps and two years almost two years between games that he was still skating as effectively as well as we've seen him. I was shocked by this. Uh, You don't really, I mean, yes, he's had plenty of time to rehab. Yes. He's had plenty of time um, without taking hits, making hits sharp. uh, The argument is he's had plenty of time to rest and get refreshed. (laughs) But if, if there's anyone, if there's anyone on that blue line who's performing not at or slightly above expectations, but well above expectations, it's Kevin Miller. Yeah, he's made some smart passes. Obviously, he's still as physical as ever. Um, he's skating well, and I don't think that his positional game has suffered at all. Um, you talked about the respect factor. It's gonna, the, the scary thing is, is that Kevin Miller has more games, despite the fact that he's been used as a seventh defenseman for most of his career, than Zaboral, Lozon, uh, I believe Grizzlick, and uh, Clifton put together. That's kind is, of a problem. No, it, yes, it is. That defense is young, inexperienced, except for a couple of players. My argument is back to the, just to tie a bow on the Chara portion of it is that with him on the ice, it's not just the fact that he's the big six, nine stalwart defenseman. Yes. Has he lost a step? I made comments about it in the summertime. He looks slow, but that's not why he's out there. He, unfortunately now Charlie McAvoy is playing without a net because he doesn't have Chara to fall back on. And he's taken way too many penalties 
because he's missing assignments or he's missing a, a player at the blue line. The other thing is Charlie McAvoy still thinks he's top 10 or 15 percent of the league in speed, and he's not even close. He's at worst, at most, in the top 30 or 40 percent. Is he even is he he's not even as fast as Grizzly? No, I don't think he is. I don't um, think he is either. Grizzly's fairly quick little little bugger out there. And I mean, but, you look at the I mean, it's a young the the respect factor isn't just that they're not Chara. It's the fact that they're all really young and really inexperienced. Charlie McAvoy, 23 years old, 186 games. What's the old benchmark for hitting um, the old uh, benchmark for hitting your stride in the NHL 200 to 300 Jeez. NHL games? I thought it was I thought it was 200, which would be about, you know, two and a half seasons. Matt Grizzlick, he's one of the old guys out there at all of five, nine and 170 something pounds, 190, 199 games. <coughs> wow. <clears throat> McAvoy has been injured a lot because mm-hmm. McAvoy got to Boston ahead of Grizzly or got on the roster ahead of Grizzly. And, uh, even though Grizzly was taken the year before. Yeah. Grizzly, uh, completed his college career and, or no, did three years in college and, Charlie only did two, one. if I'm not mistaken. Did he only do one? He was Brandon Carlo, 299 games. I mean, there there hasn't been. I guess if there's a definite number one on the team, it, it's it's Carlo. But your number one, your number one defenseman has only 300 games under his belt. Yeah, Connor Clifton, as much as the two of us love him, hasn't <laughs> been seen yet this year. Only 50 NHL games. Jeremy Lozon uh, wearing uh, Johnny Boychuk's old number. A full 37 NHL games. Jakob Zaboral, who has looked better than expected, uh, wearing the old Pullen number. Benoit Pouliot? Uh, Pouliot, yes. Benny Poo. Uh, he, is Benny up, he is now up to four NHL games. And unfortunately, zero points in those four NHL games, which yeah. is the other problem on the blue line, which we knew about. Well, I mean, as far as Grizzly replacing Krug on the on the power play, one thing that Grizzly has to learn, and this is a complete aside from what I was talking about, but one thing he has to learn is he has to learn to shoot more. Oh, absolutely. He's, or he's going to end up in he's going to end up in Thomas Cavalier. Conversation. I knew you were saying that. <laughs> Thomas Cavalier, the one guy I've never seen shoot a puck, and the one time he scored was because the defense, the the opposite team, wasn't expecting he was going to shoot the puck. <laughs> Grizzly, and he does. He takes his shots. He just when he's on the power play unit, he needs to shoot. He needs to be thinking shoot more. It's nice that he wants to pass, set up the wings. That's the way it works with the outside umbrella and all that, but. He needs to be looking at at a, a potential shot first, so that the other team's penalty killers respect the fact that he might actually just let one go. I mean, after after who is the best offensive player on that blue line? Uh, there isn't one. That's probably the best answer. 
Uh, because, I mean, Charlie McAvoy has 92 points, so under half a point per <clears throat> under half a point per game. Rizlik has, you know, 55 points. I think he's the best skater and probably the best passer on that blue line. But goal production, point production, there isn't. There's 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 nothing good happening there. No. Seriously, you're gonna have to bring you're gonna have to bring up Connor Clifton to get some get some points. Go oh wait, he only scores in the playoffs. <laughs> and well, yeah, you still have to make the playoffs, which. Well, there's that too. I don't know what to expect because I haven't seen enough of Lozon. What I've seen of Lozon in the past, he looked ready. He looked ready for the NHL. He didn't look out of place. I was never a huge fan of Zaboro, but they have to give him a chance because you have to make that 2015 draft pay off somehow. They gave him a one-way contract, so he's going to be playing more often than not but i haven't seen anything that tells me he's the offensive stalwart there really isn't you're looking at no a bucket load of assists from from the defense but your goal scoring at this point in time is going to have to come from the forwards which is another whole argument yeah now you mentioned the 2015 draft and uh ty anderson uh did a write-up on the glorious uh Abject failure of that draft. <laughs> you like that segue? <laughs> and uh, you found the article. He mentions, uh, I mean, I'm not even going to read the list of, of forwards again because it makes me want to curl up in a ball and cry. There's mm-hmm. um, one in particular that makes you want to cry more than the others, though. But the, just, the, just having taken the defenseman on this list... In the first round, who was available instead of the three people that they did pick? It would be a different look now. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> no, I, I don't think we would because uh, that 2015 draft, Thomas how you, Shabbat how do you pass on? was passed over three times. How do you? One, two, three in that first round by your beloved Don Sweeney. I, I still somebody needs to explain how you pass him over. I don't know. I mean, three times. Yeah, and you had three chances to get it right. <laughs> Even if you really, really, really wanted Jake DeBrosk, you still had two other chances to get it right and get yourself a defenseman who uh, could make the impact that we are now kvetching about that the, the, the Bruins don't have, and that's goal scoring from the blue line. He would be a he would be a quarterback on your power play, as you said pre-show. Imagine if you had Krug and Shabbat out there for Krug all this and time. Shabbat, yeah. I, I just how do you how do you miss that? I mean, I know that we we say it all the time. You know how how do you pass on Seth Jones? But how do you pass on Shabbat? He was expected to be, at that time, he was expected to be one of the best defensemen in that draft. And yet they took Jacob Zaborol and Zach Senishin ahead of him. I will give you Jake DeBrusque. I think I like Jake DeBrusque. Even Jake, though, I don't think is a first Even Jake, round. as far as 
today's impact, probably lower. But I can accept Jake DeBrusque being taken. He's He was physically mature at the time he was drafted. When he came yeah. into the NHL, he looked like he belonged. He wasn't one of those guys like um, the ones they keep throwing on the ice in Edmonton who are 20 pounds away from not being broken four times a season. Um, but how? Just that one pick, that one pick, along with if you would pick, if you had walked out of that draft with Thomas Shabbat and Jake DeBrusque as your first, as two picks, and traded the other, traded the other first round pick, or traded down and grabbed a second first, a, a second second, uh, maybe a third, you could have gotten. Maybe you could have picked up Sebastian Ajo in the same draft. I was going to say some guy named Sebastian Ajo was taken in the second round that year. Or yes. maybe you, yeah. I mean, even some of the names that they in the second round, it, it's it's staggering. It really is. But Thomas Shabbat, I think, is the is the big one. Yeah, you could have Sebastian Ajo in the second round. Okay, I, I think the big one is the fact that you could have had the Thomas Shabbat. Uh, yeah, okay, Wierenski went ahead of him. Uh, there were like three or four defensemen taken ahead of him. Yes, but, and and none of them are bad defensemen. No. Hannafin is a very good... Uh, I'd say but, primar- he's primarily a defensive defenseman, but he has he's, he's at about a 33-35% clip on the offense. You got Provorov, Wierenski... And then instead of taking Shabbat at the 13, we take Zaboro. Shabbat falls to 18 to Ottawa. Oops. Uh, I, just, yeah, I don't get it. If you had walked out of that draft with, with Thomas Shabbat, no one, assuming you draft everyone else the same, say you pick him at 15, you've somehow taken Zaboro and Nebraska ahead of him. You skip Zach Senishin, who I think everyone in the world, except possibly Don Sweeney, can agree. Not an NHL player. Shouldn't have been drafted that high. Um, <clears throat> this I, is a successful he, draft. He wasn't expected to go in the first round, Senishin. He, no. He was not projected to go anywhere near the first round. And I mean, the old adage is that if you see if, if you really want your guy, you know, he's your guy. You really want him. You go out and get him, and you do what you can to get him. I think they could have waited on him, just like they could have waited on Mason Lowry from this past draft. They they have been overspending in the first and second round. I mean, I like Brandon Carlo a lot. I, I really like Brandon Carlo a lot, way more than I ever expected to. Um, But I would have to go back and look at where he was projected for 2015. Um, I suspect it was not in the 30s. Uh, that's a good point. The, the, I mean, the other point of, of Ty's, Ty's article, just to, to finish it off, the, the other point of his article was that the draft, the 2015 draft was bad enough because of those three picks and who they could have had. 
But it was also the fact that they had the number 135 pick and they traded away to the Minnesota Wild, who have now who have drafted what appears to be the the next uh, player to watch uh, in Kirill Kaprizov. They're calling him Krill the Thrill, and uh, it's I mean he what he's done in two games, but it's taken him six years to get to the NHL because he's been he's been playing in the KHL for the last four years. I, I, I don't know that I'm ready to anoint this one yet. I mean, I want to see more of a more of an NHL sample from him. Yeah. What he's done You're in the KHL is great, games. but it's still the KHL. Oh, absolutely. Um, but if you look at the rest of this draft, the 2015 draft, and every time I look at it, it infuriates me. They had three firsts. <laughs> They had three. They ended up drafting three in the first, three mm-hmm. in the second, mm-hmm. um, a third, a fourth, a sixth, and a seventh. Uh, so eleven picks. Mm-hmm. They've had two legitimate hits: Jake DeBrusque Brandon and Carlo. Brandon Carlo. Yeah. I'm willing to. I'm willing to say Jeremy Lozon is probably going to make make it over the hundred NHL game mark in the next two or two or three seasons, barring serious injuries. Okay. Is there anyone else on this list? You're prepared to say that about as far as Bruins picks. Yeah. Mm, not, no, no. Cause it was Zaboral. Mm, no, nope. he might make Seneshin. it. Over. No. Um, the amazing uh, student athlete uh, Jacob Forbacca Carlson, aka Bergeron 2.0. That's what they called him at the time. And <clears throat> I think I made myself uh, abundantly clear that <clears throat> I didn't believe that to be the case. Yeah, good for you. Um, <laughs> Lausanne, uh, we talked about Lausanne. Yeah. Daniel Vlader. Vlader actually has a chance at hitting at least 50, 70 games. I believe both Bruins goaltenders contracts expire at the end of the season. Yeah, both both Rask and Halak are done at the end of this year, and Hul- and if Rask is to be believed, it he it may be his last contract too. So, uh, um, yeah. and then Jesse Gabriel, who I like the energy of, but I don't even know where he is or who he belongs to at this point. Uh, he's in Slovakia. Uh, yeah, he's played, he, four, he's played in four games and he has um, two points. Yeah, he he spent the last two seasons. He spent the eighteen nineteen season split between two ECHL teams. Um, and the nineteen twenty season, no, he's it doesn't even look like he's playing. Uh. Because that was the nineteen twenty season, not oh, whoops. Yeah, I no, I just relooked at it. You're correct. So he's not playing anywhere right now. Excellent. <sighs> and then their last pick of that draft was. Uh, uh, then they had Cameron Hughes, who got into one game. One. Cam Hughes. And he was teammates with Trent Frederick at Wisconsin. That is correct. Thank you. 
Um, and yes, we're all missing. Uh, and who was uh, and then Jack Beecher? Cam Hughes got into that one NHL game last season. Yeah, and I don't know where or if he's playing this year because there <clears throat> there don't seem to be any stats available for him. Jack Becker, he's still, Jack Becker is still at Michigan. He's playing out his senior season now, and he's having a decent season. Yeah, I, I like Jack Becker. He's never going to be as far as Bruins are concerned. If they do end up hanging on to him, if he because as a as a senior, you know, he's going to be one of those guys who can sign anywhere type of thing. It's going to be Celtics, if the Celtics, if the Bruins were able to hang on to him, I saw the C next to his name. And he's going to be a, he's going to be a bottom six, he's a third or fourth line center. He's a he's a good guy, but he's not a huge skill guy. Uh, when you watch no. him, he's but he he's a grinder and he works in the corners. He's, he's he, I like him, but I like him for that reason. He's not going to be a top six. He's not going to be flying around people and, and deking them out of their shorts. And my, 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 my issue with this whole thing is that the, there's a guy in the seventh round who's played more games than all but one of our picks, <laughs> Marcus Nudivara, seventh round defenseman out of Columbus, uh, picked by Columbus, 244 games. Definitely defensive defenseman with only 60 points, but they hit on a seventh round pick. <laughs> like, I, I still I really can't bring myself to read the forwards on that list. But for those of you who aren't familiar with Ty Anderson, his article is up on 98.5 thesportshub.com. Uh, it's dated uh, January 15th. Uh, definitely worth a quick read. It'll 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 bring a tear to your eyes. <laughs> um, on the sad news notes, um, we have seen the official retirement of a Boston fan favorite. Well, yeah. he was a fan favorite to a lot of people. Someone on this show didn't particularly like him. Wait a minute. Okay. You're going to point the finger at me, and that's fine. It's not that I didn't like him. I just felt that he couldn't manage to stay away from an injury that other people may have been able to avoid. He he seemed to crash into the boards and injure his shoulder for six weeks. Or, But that being said, he was a physical player. He could he was not afraid to drop the gloves. He... He was a solid blue liner. He's not uh, not going to be a top pairing guy. He was clearly middle pairing, bottom pairing. Uh, I I'd put him in at the three at, at the three of the four. He's not a top pairing guy, but he was him and Krug in Krug's first couple of years here were a very effective defensive pairing. And well, it it would be Krug being the offensive defenseman and McQuaid being the defensive stalwart on that particular pairing would allow Krug to do what he does. And he had some of the best and scariest fights I've ever seen. Uh, he, by all accounts, one of the nicest guys to ever play in Boston, but occasionally he looked just a tiny bit unhinged, pummeling the face flat of some poor, unfortunate fool who decided to drop the gloves with him. 
and yeah. it was glorious. <laughs> um, he, was, he, he was fun to watch. I just it 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 it, it saddened me to, to he'll be skating along and suddenly he just he hits the boards and next thing you know he's out for six weeks or four weeks or. And it's like, got to stop doing that to yourself, man. It's bad enough the other team's trying to do it to you. <laughs> but he's 34 years old now. Uh, the last time he played was in 2019 with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yep. Uh, got the team himself that drafted in, him. Yeah, the team, that's right. So he did go for full circle. I mean, it was sad because the way he went out, he did leave due to an injury, but it turned out to be a herniated disc in his neck, which is kind of scary because neck is kind of important. Yeah. Uh, uh, he he didn't play a... it all last. He didn't play it all last season, and but never officially retired. So the quote that he put out there, I guess technically I would say today, is probably the first time that I would say that I'm done publicly. But I guess I've known for a while now that I wouldn't be playing again. It got to a point where I felt like I really kind of tapped out my body. And he did. He gave his all. That's what I'm, I mean. The fact no that one he who would ever saw him play should ever have a doubt about whether he was committed to winning that game. No, he wasn't the most offensively gifted player ever to lace up the skates. But even on a team with flat-out lunatics like Bergeron and Chara and Marchand and, for his time here, uh, Mark Recchi, who or even Yarmir Yager, who didn't believe in not being physically ready for a game or not playing if they could manage to put their skates on, he was a dude who went at it and left it all out there. And, you know, he was called Darth Quader here for a good number of years because he was that scary. Um, I mean, think of the team, think of the teams they had and the, the physicality that they had on the ice. You had Chara, McQuaid, Sean Thornton, Thornton. Milan Lucic. <laughs> <laughs> you had for a couple of years, you had Ferenc and uh, Nathan Horton. Um, and who thinks of Ferenc as, as like the that i mean Ferenc was a Ferenc was the flyweight but man he's he could move his hands i'm not saying he could i'm just saying it, when you stop it he's still on on those particular teams he was like the fourth or fifth option for fighting <laughs> yes and if you weighed more than like 215 pounds he was like the safest i mean not safe well, but yeah. the safest <laughs> you had a better chance of pushing him around than i don't know McQuaid or Thornton or uh, or Chara, <laughs> but yet he would be one of the first guys jumping in if it was if if somebody was attacked while he was on the ice. Mm-hmm. I mean, teams those thought were that some... they, teams thought if Chara or McQuaid or Thornton weren't on the ice that they could take liberties sometimes. Yeah, Andy didn't really like that. <laughs> no, he didn't. And of course, he had the famous. Um, um, Wardrobe uniform. malfunction. Wardrobe malfunction. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't know how that happened. It, it clearly was a, a just uncontrollable incident. Wardrobe just completely malfunctioned and oops. Uh, 
But and he should probably get uh, the uh, glove maker to reimburse him for whatever he was fined for that. I would think. They were fun teams to watch, and McQuaid was actually, and McQuaid was one of the reasons why. That's, I mean, he played nine years for Boston. We thank you. Wish you much luck in whatever it is you do going forward, whether it's coming back to hockey in a different form or just spending time with your family. He's a guy I could see getting into player development or into the fitness end of it. Yeah. Um, whether it was with the team or as part of like uh, just a standalone hockey clinic. Sure. Because uh, he's one of a really small handful of uh, what is it, Prince Edward Island uh, players to ever play in the NHL. Yeah. Um, on slightly better news for Boston, I was I heard a somewhat surprising and only somewhat in in this case uh, announcement that Brad Marchand said that he had only been at eighty percent the last two or three seasons. I had heard this. I'm I'm still trying to figure out if he's trying if he's just saying it or or if he really was hurt. All this time, the last couple of years. yes, he's had some injuries. They all have. I mean, it's hockey. Everybody gets hurt in hockey, whether you want to admit to it or not. But for him to sit there and say he feels great this year, and he's actually at 100%, and he's only been at 80% the last couple of years, it's like, uh, okay, that's kind of scary if you think about it, because just missed the His numbers the are still damn good. Yeah, just missed the 100-point mark. Or just missed that. There was that year where he was going to get 100 points in 100 penalty minutes. Yes. And, and he missed finished, one of them by one point. Missed it by one point. Last year at 80%, he finished sixth in the NHL in points. I mean, that, that should be a little unnerving. If he can get to sixth in the NHL at only 80%, what what is he capable of at 100%? I mean, after having watched him, watching him grow from when he was a rookie and running around and brash, and there was a time where he had issues with missing the net high and high and wide. Uh, he's a legit, phenomenal player, and and now he's one of the most reliable players on the penalty kill, every situation basically. Uh. He holds the franchise record for shorthanded goals for an original six team. Shorthanded, uh, shorthanded goals are not easy to come by. Now had a they had a nice one there in game two. Him and him and Bergeron again. And the two of them have combined for more shorthanded goals than in in the time that they played together than a bunch of franchises have in that same period. <coughs> I apologize for the cough, uh, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, from uh, WEI's article, um, it was apparently his left, his whole left side was bothering him, uh, left groin, left ab, and it was uh, then last season it was both sides. Yikes! And honestly, that's what happens with some injuries if you don't take care of them. One side spends so much time compensating that it breaks yes. down. And that must be what, or that's clearly what happened here. Um, 
it's terrifying to think that he might actually be better at what is he going to be 33 this year than he was at 30. Couldn't take a full. I mean, yeah, the WEI article here. Then it says uh, couldn't take a full stride. A lot of times I was taking days off. I think in the playoffs I barely practiced because I needed every day off to recover because I was in a lot of pain. It bugged me every single day. It was a really easy decision to do it. It was something I was going to do regardless of what happened this season. Having the four or five months off, it worked out perfectly for me. But I was having that surgery regardless because he was in such pain. I mean, I'm glad he did it. Getting him back and healthy, I mean... Especially but that's terrifying. When, like, legitimately terrifying oh, trying to I, cover him. Getting that extra 20% back, too? I mean, what's he going to – I mean, what what is what is the ceiling now? I mean, you have to I mean, adjust his, his ceiling as far as what he's capable of. Uh, I mean, he's at – two years ago or last season, he had 87 points – in 70 games at 80% or so the season before that hundred points in 79 games at 80%. If we're saying this goes back to the 17, 18 season, 68 games and 85 points. <laughs> I mean, on a points per game basis, that's literally silly to be at 80%. Yeah. So, even if we just bump his numbers 10%, that's still that's still really really good. I mean, uh-huh. he's going to hit 40 goals this season or next. It's just to get it's just a question. It's not really a question. I I I'm just staggered that that he was playing at 80% watching watching him and and I know that hockey player I know how hockey players are. They want to be out there. Guy got cut last night. Uh, Matthew Kachuk skate cut him, one of the Vancouver players, and he's skating around and he's bleeding on the ice, and they finally pull him off. And, and he still managed to make it back onto the ice. They stitch him up. There you go. Get out there. I mean, seriously, it, hockey players are like that. For him to be out there at 80% and still put up the statistics that he's capable of and play at the level that he was capable of is just that's a mind over that's a mind over matter thing mind over body thing that you don't see that in a lot of other sports if i'm the opposition i'm terrified of what he's going to be able to do this year i mean we saw that shorthanded goal him and him and bergeron created and that was at the end of a shift and he wrestled uh, i forget who was defending against him but that and, guy and- was Leaning on on Marshand to the point of how, the, how there was interference. How there was that's what I'm going to say. How there wasn't a penalty call on that. I don't know if the ref was just giving him the leeway. I don't know if the ref was pretending not to see it or what. And how there wasn't a penalty because yeah, he was. It that was, was thirty feet. That was like yeah. thirty feet of interference. It was it was easily from red line to blue line that he was getting interfered with and to still push the puck forward, get around the defenseman, get the backhand pass over to Bergeron. And as they say in basketball, the ball never lies in, in hockey. The puck never lies. I firmly, 
the goal that was scored prior to that that was waved off should have been allowed. Craig Smith was knocked into Mackenzie Blackwood, and they turned around, still disallowed the goal. So karma reared its ugly head, or in this case, beautiful head, and voila, shorthanded goal. I mean, it was beautiful goal, beautifully set up, but even it. It's just he's been fun to watch and to know that he's going to be potentially even better at 100 percent is just, yes, scary for the opposition. Um, There were some NH there were some predictions for the NHL season. Uh, Go ahead and get your first uh, three or four out. This was uh, I found this on the athletic. And it's done by Scott Burnside. Uh, It was done on January 12th, which is clearly the day before the season started. And they they ranked a bunch of stuff. They did best best of the NHL divisions, who was going to win each division. Uh, And this was all done by the athletic writers themselves. This isn't outside. This is all within their confines. Uh, who's going to win the Northeast, South, uh, Central? We don't have a Southwest. Northeast, Central, and West. There we go. No South this year. <laughs> so they predicted in the in the North that the Maple Leafs are pretty much the overwhelming favorite to win that division. Uh, not quite sure how I feel about that one. I think they're going to be one of the four teams to make it, but I think there are teams like the Canucks and the Oilers and the Flames who might have something to say about that. If you're looking at pure goal scoring, yeah, they might have you because they got Matthews, they got this one. Even Joe Thornton scored last night. Senators are the only team not to get a, a vote to win the division out of all seven teams. Uh, in the East, you've got the East is clearly the most competitive division out there. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if there's an argument to be made there. I don't think there is. It's certainly not the West. <laughs> so the East, uh, in a shocking, uh, and to me, it's kind of shocking. I think that uh, 19, they got 19 votes, the Flyers, to win the East division, with the Bruins Which? finishing second. And see, for me, the shock there is the lack of votes for the Caps. Only five writers voted or five staff members voted that the Caps would win the East Division. And the Islanders getting just two. I said a couple of weeks weeks back that this is going to be the year of the coach. If you look at the Eastern Conference. Barry Trotz. It's Trotz. Barry Trotz. Barry Trot or Barry Trotz, it should he should have at least three or four votes. I can get why the Bruins and Philadelphia got several votes. They definitely have better goaltending than Wash or they have more quantifiable goaltending than Washington. But I think that only five votes is a little disturbing. Yeah, uh, you still have. I mean, you've added Chara. You've still got John Carlson. 
you still got up front uh, some guy named Ovechkin. I don't know. Ooh. He's got like he's got a few goals, like six or seven hundred. I don't know, something like that. Um, oh, a guy who voted who who was voted what second for the. <laughs> and if you scroll down in this article, was actually voted to not win the Rocket Richard Trophy, <laughs> even though he's won it all, uh, won the trophy himself or a share of it seven of the last ten years. So <clears throat> with all of the rest. With all of the rest, this super physical, super fit hockey freak has had, they yeah. pick this year to vote for someone else to beat him, and and not by a slim margin either. The the the, the staffers over at the Athletic voted twenty two to five for Austin Matthews to and win the um, Rocket Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now some of that may be that they decided the goaltending in Canada in the North division was just not as good, which I guess is going to be more influential this season than ever. Uh, I talked about how we're effectively having a throwback season to four original six leagues. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's, it's Ovechkin. It's really, really hard to bet against him. Isn't it, isn't this one of those times where you kind of have to vote for the guy until he gives you reason to not vote for him? I mean, what have you what have they seen out of Ovechkin that tells them he's not going to be able to contend this year? And <laughs> that's I mean, that's almost certainly the argument that was used for the uh, which was it for the Hart Trophy. <laughs> yes, the Hart Trophy winner. Uh, were clearly contractually, well, two people were clearly contractu- contractually <laughs> obligated to vote for Sidney Crosby. Um, yes. Even though I don't think he finished last year in the top 10 in scoring. I'd top, be more inclined to give Eichel hard trophy votes than Sidney Crosby, but okay. But um, yes, Nathan McKinnon by five votes over Connor McDavid. I, it, there, I mean, there are just and, some... How does Braden Point, who I like, get votes for this, but not Stephen Stamkos, who was, you know, kind of won it before and came into the season healthy? Ish. Yeah. I. Uh, that's a difficult one. I mean, Braden Point is going to be a force in this league, I think. And for that matter, if we're talking about health. Dreisaitl probably deserves a couple more votes. Uh, wait a minute. Dreisaitl's not even on the list. <laughs> yeah. Funny. <laughs> Which kind of surprises me. Uh, um, I would think. I, I, I do love the fact that uh, for the Norris Trophy, <clears throat> somebody clearly wasn't paying attention when they when they hit the uh, – when they hit the voting machine and they had a hanging chat or something because hanging Chuck, this guy at the bottom of the list got one vote for Norris trophy. Uh, some guy named make Mac Avoy. Uh, Oh, 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 we star Charlie, Charlie McAvoy. He wasn't he in like, uh, the, the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Okay. Well, he got a, he got one vote, so that's pretty good. Uh, um, behind behind guys like you know Roman Nerosi, Petrangelo, uh, 
some guy named Seth Jones in Columbus, you know, and, and the winner, of course, is going to be Victor Hedman again. Although this race was really close, and I can see where I'm not sold on Heiskanen yet being third in the voting. I still think Kel McCarr is better than Heiskanen. I'm sorry, but That's either one That's going to come down to divisions again because some of the – I mean, actually, the top three, four players are all playing in that central division, aren't they? No, five. Tampa Bay, Columbus, Dallas, Colorado, and Carolina. Yeah. Dougie Hamilton got five votes. Dougie Hamilton has had, uh, I think coming into last season, he had the most goals over the previous like four years of any defenseman. Oh, okay. He's been a consistent producer. Are those all five? uh, Colorado's not in the West. They're in the Central. Uh, Colorado's in the Central, yeah. So, yes, you have the first five are in the central, and then you've got west, west Yossi, central, and, central east. and east. So the and best defenseman yes, are, in the league is coming out of the central. And, yes, there are no defensemen in the north division who are worthy of the list, which is probably a shot at Thomas Shabbat. Um Wait, wait, doesn't, don't guys like, I don't know, Mark Giordano play up there and um, Shea Weber plays up there. Shea Weber, who's been hosed his whole career, but yes, yes, he has. <laughs> Come on. You're going to honestly tell me that there's never once in his whole career that he should have received, that he should have received the, the Norris trophy. Seriously. It was probably one of the years that they gave it to the uh, old man in Detroit, hoping he'd retire. Okay. Um, I'm starting to not like Nick Lidstrom. <laughs> Finally. And the Vesna trophy, I think they just, I think in some cases they just left the top vote on their ballots from last year. Um, Vasilevsky, he got 15 of the votes. Robin Leonard, he got four. So um, Carter Hart getting 10. That's a, is second in the second and more than thir- third and fourth combined, which is that's mighty bold. They like to throw Bruins in at the bottom of the ri- bottom of the list because Tukaras got one vote. Tukaras arguably is sharing. Tukaras and Robin Leonard probably are part of the two best goalie tandems in the league this year. Yes. And that's going to hurt them regardless of anything else that happens. Unless Rask plays 42 games. I don't think that has or at least four shutouts and a 935 save percentage, which she's not off to uh, accomplishing. Um, I, d- I see it as really hard for him or Robin Leonard for that matter, or, uh, Mark Andre Fleury to get uh, the Vesna this year. I would agree. Yeah, it, you're just not going to play enough games. Uh, I mean, I understand that the names on this list are the. It, it, it's almost like the typical. Okay, let's go. Let's fall back to the. Because right now, after two games, if you watch it, there's guys like you say Saros that are just having unreal first two games of the season. Is he going to be able to keep that up? No, I don't think he's going to continually carry a 968 save percentage throughout the whole year. <laughs> you sure? 
I'm pretty sure, and I love you, say Cyrus, but I don't think he's going to carry no 968 for the whole season. Uh. You know, I I've said it, and I'll probably say it like 85 more times before the season is over. Sure. Most important award this year is the Jack Adams Award, and they need to get it right. Their predictions are not inspiring. <sighs> not inspiring at all. Why? Because Overall, they didn't add they didn't add your boy onto the list there, uh, Bruce Cassidy. Uh, that's definitely what I'm talking about. <laughs> Jared Bednar is on one of the teams predicted to win their division. Short short list for the Stanley Cup. I was actually they predicted to win the Stanley Cup, but yeah. <laughs> Rod Brindamore, Carolina Hurricanes. I guess I can live with that. Third. Soccer coach in Buffalo. He wasn't a coach. He was an administrator. Oh, administrator. Sorry. He wasn't. He wasn't even coaching in soccer in the in the Premier League. He was. Uh, he was in the front office, or yeah. he was player personnel, or something like that. Whatever their equivalent is over there. But yeah, he wasn't coaching. He he he, he didn't coach until he came back here to Buffalo. But they. But he's got okay if. If Ralph Kruger can drag that team into the playoffs, yes, give, just give it to him. Yes, because that's not a good team. It's not. Even I though they've added Taylor Hall and I think their four, their top three, four, five forwards are. You can make the argument that they're at worst top half in the league. They have done nothing to fix their goaltending woes. They have done nothing, and their to... defense is nothing to waste paper or electrons on writing home about well after the rasmus twins um i I mean colin miller no you 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 got colin miller yoki haru is still kind of young uh just montour from uh montour yes brandon montour from anaheim Actually, I like him. I liked him with Anaheim. Uh, I think his talent might be getting a little wasted in Buffalo. Okay. We talked about the woes of the Bruins defense. Yes. Uh, Would you swap this defense wholesale for the Bruins defense wholesale? Wholesale? Yep. Hmm. Seven for seven, the, the guys who have played. My answer? I don't know, because no. Darlene is definitely more offensive than anybody we have at this point in time. And I like Darlene. I really do. I don't and think I think I'd swap I think Ristolainen, with, with the right defensive coach, could turn into a pretty reliable defender. Yes. But the rest... I mean, Jake McCabe yeah, I think is probably the dro- the drop off is The drop-off is more... The drop-off is wider between the Rasmus twins and the rest than the drop-off between Carlo, Grizzlick, and the rest of the Bruins defenders. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in terms of – in those terms, I think I stand pat. I don't switch. Could I switch out individual players? Sure. Because I think Rasmus Ristolainen is one of those guys who is much maligned 
and unfortunately the Buffalo fans didn't take into account the fact that he was their only defenseman. So you're going to sit there and say how bad he is plus with the plus minus. And that's great, except that he was your only guy and he was playing like 25, 26 minutes a night and there was nobody Bad else. And no <laughs> mentor. Yep. Absolutely awful. First fired coach. Now, this list, uh, as we said, this one and I and this is the last list on the last thing on the on the article. But Jeremy Colleton, it shows here is second behind Jeff Blaschel in Detroit. I don't know that Blaschel gets fired. It depends on really how bad they actually are. I think that I get the impression that that Stevie's riding it out with him until they start the upswing and then see where they go. But the next name is Jeremy Colleton for Chicago. They just gave him a two-year deal, two-year extension. So I don't know. And they that know that team is him. bad. Yeah. And they also they're also starting the season without Taze, and Kirby Doc. Uh, yeah, Kirby yeah. will not be available all year. All, all year, he's done. Four to five months with the wrist surgery, after the broken wrist in the World Juniors. Actually, my pick to on this, if it's just out of these four, my pick on this list, the way they performed so far, would be Mike Sullivan. Yeah, that's. I mean, that one's the clear pick uh, of these guys for me. Even though, um, I mean, yeah, I. And I yes, he hasn't been there long, um, but it doesn't really matter if if management is choosing between Crosby and the coach. The coach is going to lose. Uh, yeah, I think that if you had to pick one of these four, and the fifth option was that none would be fired in the season, and that actually received three votes. Is it possible that that happens because this is a shortened season due to um, the, the 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 virus? Um, is it possible that nobody gets fired and you just say, well, you chalk it up to what's what's happened? I don't know that there are GMs that are that patient. <laughs> I mean, okay, for me, I don't think it comes down to patience, and I think this would be an ownership call. Um, I don't know that any of the owners want to pay uh, the coaching revenue or the coaching salary for to get rid of a coach in – in a two-year period where revenue is going to be down. And, and so, actually, Mike Sullivan has been there longer than I thought. This is his fourth year and the first of a new contract. I, I just think that my first thought was that nobody's going to be fired this year. But if I had to pick one of the four names on this list to be fired, and that was my only choices, I would say Mike Sullivan first. Yeah. Just because there's higher expectations in Pittsburgh than what they're doing. Well, there's higher expectations in Pittsburgh than there are in reality for Pittsburgh, but hey. Well, yes, that, and that's why it's another count. That's actually another count against Mike Sullivan. <laughs> uh, but I mean, this is a—it was just an interesting read, and yes, it, it came out the day before, and I just saw it, so I figured I'd throw it up there, based on the first couple of days of what's happened. Uh, anything you disagree with, like I, I guess the Stanley Cup one. I don't know if it's clear. I don't know if it's as clear cut as they put it that Avalanche are going to win. See, I 
my big issue with the avalanche is with the avalanche I just don't know I I see the talent I'm not sure I see the cohesion okay I'm not saying they're a bad I, I certainly am not saying they're a bad team um, but I I think the Knights, if they're healthy going into the like into a Western Conference final against them, or actually it's not even the Western Conference anymore. Um, I I can see the Knights beating them head to head. I think the Lightning really haven't lost. Well, they lost Kucherov, but with a healthy Stamkos, you're at about the same place. Well, the Lightning and the Avalanche both being in the Central. I mean, that would be an interesting. That's going to be I, really interesting. They're both um, going to be in the top four at the end of the season. Uh, at the end of yeah, at the end of the regular season, they're both going to be in the top four. If that's a first round matchup, that's going to be really disappointing, as far as the league schedule makers mm-hmm. and the TV uh, uh, TV revenue. But um, as a conference, as a divisional final, yeah, that's that's going to be fun. But do you pick that? It, if they end up facing each other, do you pick that based solely on goaltending? Because goal scoring wise, they're both going to have it. Defense, I think, on the Lightning is better than on the Avalanche. Although Kel McCarr is is the and, defensive yeah. element of the defense is better in Tampa, Tampa. than yes. it is in in, Colo- in Colorado. But I think that the Colorado's offensive end is better and is overall more mobile. Okay. And that's today on day like four of the season. What injuries, trades, and demotions uh, for performance are going to happen over the next 125 days or so? I don't know, and neither does anyone else. Um, but I would not be surprised if this season we see a couple of actual blockbuster trades. Sad thing for Boston is that they received zero vote, zero votes to win the Stanley Cup. However, the Maple Leafs and Flyers and Penguins all had one vote. Again, the Penguins media <laughs> contingent, I think, is contractually obligated to vote for them in as many categories as possible. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Is there what anything else, is, else of fun? Is there anything else of fun to talk about today? Because it has been fun to actually talk about live hockey and, and what's going on. Oh, we do have uh, just a just a. We'd have to share the link on on a, when we post the when we post the show because Philip Forsberg uh, and and when Mike shared this with me, I was agog. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, and it, it it's not just the fact that the two goals look similar. It's the fact that if you look up in the corner at the scoreboard and the shots on goal, the shots on goal were identical. They were both at 28. They were literally, the goals were scored like four minutes difference in game time. Uh, One was at like 18 and the other one was at 14 or 12 or something like that. It was either four or six minutes, both in what, the second period. I mean, it, it was just 
weird and and when they when you put them together and they happen at the same time and and yeah it, it's 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 uncanny i did i did tweet the forsberg uh the forsberg link <coughs> apologies um it does as as <laughs> It, it it is it is a fun watch. I'll put the link in when we post the show. But it just bear in mind that Philip Forsberg is up until like last season, he's been more of a second half player. Oh, absolutely. And my first thought was, you know, that I don't have him on my fantasy team for the first time in a while, and I always had to draft him knowing I was going to basically be holding. He's going to be a placeholder until the second half. But this year we started in the second half. This is like the perfect season for him. Because <laughs> we've already started after the beginning of the year. So he oh. doesn't have to worry about skating through a first half or a first couple of months of, of mediocrity and, and uh, you know, kind of blasé play and then ramp it up. He can just ramp it up now. <laughs> It's like the perfect uh, season for Forsberg. <laughs> it's it's been a solid. I mean, it's been a really good start for him. Uh, Forsberg, as pure talent goes, Ugh. is legitimately a superstar. Um, consistency wise, from Washington. Consistency wise, he has issues. I I don't know how much of them are biological, how much of them are <clears throat> just mental preparation. But oh my God, is he good when he's good? Yeah, and and as I said, uh, David David Poyle just somehow snatched him away from Washington. I think he was. I think David Poyle was actually in Washington when he was drafted. Uh, sounds right. Yep. He, and then he moved to Nashville and made the deal to bring him over. And <laughs> it's like, okay, when a GM is going to take you with him for all intents and purposes. When he leaves and goes to a new team, clearly he sees something and the scouting team saw something in him that he had to be kept. And you're right. Unfortunately, the one thing I would say that's really kind of plagued him is his inconsistency, especially in the first half of the seasons. But when he is on, he is on. I mean, would he have eight goals and two? He had two hat tricks in a row and then two goals in the third game. He's done that twice in his career, as far as I remember. He had a 38. Uh, he had uh, he's topped at 33 game at 33 goals in a season. If he actually were consistent, this is a this is legitimately a guy who can put up 55 to 60 goals in a season. 55 to 60, not an exaggeration. Just watch him play. And he's 26. Yeah. He's not he's not going to be having a serious decline at any given uh, at anytime soon the two guys that uh forsberg was traded for martin erat who was still who was still a solid player at the time uh-huh and michael lada who aside from being the answer to a trivia question who was traded for philip forsberg <laughs> yeah that's that's really about the extent of it he played 113 wait, wait, wait. nhl games 17 points Wow, seventeen, yeah. So clearly, clearly, if you looked at this trade, you could see where the 
where it was, you know, almost an even, you know, almost a wash for Washington that they would. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, I tried to do that with a straight face. It's not working. <laughs> I mean, Erat is only 13 years older than Forsberg, and Lada is three years older than Forsberg. That so, was that was a skunking. So the Washington Capitals were willing to take on four and a half million dollars in salary. And they traded away Philip Forsberg, who was on an entry level, nine twenty-five. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Going back in the going in the way back machine, I'm thinking that they might undo that deal at some point. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> nah, who you can getting that Martin year out was clearly. Uh, a move that they had to make. I, I can't think of anything else we need to cover at this point in time, though. No, uh, I think that that's probably a good place to end the show. Um, I did tweet out uh, Forsberg's uncanny goals um, while we were recording the show, um, so you can take a look at those, uh, see what we're talking about. Uh, the link actually will show them both to you at the same time. Just click uh, start on both, and you can watch them. It's it, it really is uh, surprising how similar those goals were. Yes. Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. Um, and as always, have a great week. We'll be back soon.